Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Trey Bond from BG Shield. Trey is a logistics strategist by day and a board game vigilante by night. His mission is to save your party games from the spilly willies who always seem to put your games at risk. Trey, welcome to the binge. How you doing, sir? Thanks for having me. Doing well. I got to tell you, I am a spilly willy myself, so we'll get into that story <laughs> in a brief uh, few moments. But gosh, uh, when I read your bio, you said that, um, and, and first of all, Happy New Year to everybody out there that's either watching or listening uh man 2022 i am pumped this is going to just be an awesome year i'm always optimistic when the year begins and i don't think this year is going to be any different so i'm very excited for 2022 and happy new year to you as well thank you i'm i'm optimistic too we're going to launch a new product to the industry and this is the year we're going to do it so very excited uh, that's cool and now so in your bio you had mentioned that um you uh, are relatively new to the board game industry so you're like a, a what is a logistics strategist by the way what is that so I work for a large logistics company that specializes in delivering appliances and furniture all over the U.S. Oh, wow. So that's that's what we do. Um, I'm res- responsible for corporate strategy. So all that means is trying to help the company grow, diversify, improve the value of the company overall. So that's kind of my headspace on a, any given day. And when you said you're relatively new to the board game industry, is that new to the the side of you know making things, or have you like have you played games your whole life, or are you relatively new even into playing games in the first place? It kind of all started with COVID. I mean, I had played mm. games prior to COVID for sure. Board games, I would say, uh, you know, basic board games. But when COVID started. The, the real story behind uh, the situation, James, is that I was an avid fantasy baseball player for about 20 years, highly competitive. Cool. And uh, I have a lot of friends who I played with who now work for Major League Baseball teams. Um, it was a hobby for me. But in 2020, when COVID hit, I kind of decided that I was going to stop that cold turkey. I was going to do it for one year, just kind of take a break. I was pretty obsessive about it. It was kind of all in for me on the side. And so when COVID hit and I took a break from that, my brother-in-law said, hey, look, I like to play games, not just, you know, Monopoly and Catan, but I've got these hobby games that I wanted to see if you want to play. And it really, I mean, it scratched the same itch for me, that sort of analytical, details, statistical kind of part of me that has always been there i don't know why i wouldn't have predicted it that way but it, it just it filled that gap for me and i haven't gone back to baseball and i've gone all in on uh, kind of the hobby game industry now so That's it's awesome. kind of an interesting shift what were some of the games that you were playing over the covid um one of the earliest ones that i would say was kind of a transition kind of a gateway game was lords of Waterdeep. Yeah. Uh, that was there. Wingspan was one that was introduced. So some of those early ones that have been very influential. Scythe was another big one that kind of, I would say, took it up another notch. And now um, I have a, I'm a big fan of Reiner Knizia games and, and things mm-hmm. like that. So I like a lot of the, uh, 
I, I like a combination of of all things abstract uh you know, area well, control guess, case right sure and was it so and when you say like the analytics uh that you're used to with the um the fantasy baseball leagues and then going into board games so is that how you approach game play in general are you constantly trying to kind of work out the statistics and you know for lack of a better word card counting and things like that when you're playing or I think so. I mean, I, you know, like we talked about just a couple of minutes ago, I mean, my, my day job is strategy. So I'm thinking all the time about how to improve situations, uh, reduce risk, things like that. And for some reason that's easily translatable for me to board games. So I'm, I play and I'm thinking, what could I do better? How could I change it? What could I do differently from what somebody else at the table is doing? And just always trying to, I can't kind of, I can't stop thinking that way. That's just kind of how I'm built. So I got a couple of buddies like that. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's good because it's challenging uh, when you, when you play them, there's one that can, they can do the, the math fast. And so they're just very analytical. And when, when you play them, it's like, they almost become the target, right? Cause people want to beat that guy, right? The right. guy that's not playing for fun, but the guy that's basically in it to win it. And then there's the other guys that, uh, you know, are, are going through the stats and so forth, but they wait until their turn. So they have all the data. Right. And then they sit there and it's like a five minute thought process. And it's like, ah, can you not just go like, we're not curing cancer here, man. Like, come on. So which of those two are you? Are you the, the quick thinking guy? Or are you the guy that, uh, when it gets to your turn, you got to take a I, I like to think that I'm, I'm quicker thinking. I mean, I, I'm sure there's games that, that give me some extra analysis paralysis, but try to be quick thinking. It's really more about thinking differently, not yeah. so much, um, you know, there is a, a method there, but always trying to want to do something different. Um, I'm very competitive and a little bit obsessive in my personality. And somehow that translated so easily and so quickly from what I did in, in baseball for two decades to, to board games now. Now, have you approached any baseball games at all? Because I think there are a few even baseball board games out there. Are, are any of these on your list or is it just too simplistic they, versus what you They are. So, so I played sabermetric games for a long time uh, and then there are some baseball games that that uh, like uh, 2045 baseball highlights is a, kind of on my list I haven't played it yet but I think that's a deck building game mm -hmm. that has been kind of on my radar um, so yeah if I can find the perfect combination of the two it would be it would be a sweet stop sweet spot probably well, that's cool. And when you're playing and, and, you know, when you're, when you're thinking like kind of this, this strategic approach, are you ever playing games and you're thinking even how you can improve upon the game itself? Like, are you ever, you ever go through that thought process that, you know, I think I would change that mechanic or I would do this differently based on kind of how I'm seeing this play out. I do. I do. I think, I think that's pretty common to think, you know, could this be done better? The problem I have is that, and, and hopefully people that are listening to this will, will sympathize with this, but I now have so many games or kind of have that habit of, of trying out so many games that I don't get the opportunity to play the same game enough times to really feel like I can justify making 
you know, a, a personal recommendation to change the rules or change the way things are done. So, you know, you change, you, you play a new game and you think, man, this is either great or I would change this, but you've only played it three or four times. You really haven't yeah. had the chance to, to give it its full, uh, its full opportunity to, to play. I'm guilty of that myself. Uh, my design partner, uh, who's also my brother and I will, we'll be playing a game and it'll be a brand new game. And right away, it's into, oh, I think I would do this differently or, you know, it would make a cool game if we took this mechanic and did this over here and, you know, you're, it's tough to kind of turn it off. Right. But it's, uh, that's why it's important when you're doing those kind of things to play with the right people. Right. Cause not everybody, some people just want to turn their minds off when they're playing games, quite frankly. Right. And then that's, what's made it challenging. I mean, we started this by talking about the COVID era yeah. and we're, we're in that era now and it is a little more challenging to get, people to the table uh to get to places where people can can play i would love absolutely love to play with a a larger than two or three people group over and over and over and over again on the same game that would be fantastic to really kind of get in the in the nuts and bolts just as an example one of the games that I wanted for Christmas that I did get was Eric Lang's new game, Ankh. And I've only played it a couple of times so far since Christmas, but I, I really like it. I can see that there's a lot of depth there. It really scratches that strategic itch that we were talking about. But I would yeah. I want to play that game with the same group over and over and over again. And that group is is hard to find right now. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I guess online is where a lot of people are going now and, and trying their best either through like a board game arena or a sovereignty or one of these other kind of online applications, right? But it's it helps scratch a bit of an itch, but it's just not the same as that tactile experience of having everybody around the table, right? Exactly. Playing, playing the players is just as much fun as, as playing the game. So I came across you uh, on TikTok of all places where I first came across. Were you doing, like, I don't even know how I found you. Are you advertising or were you just throwing videos out there and it just happened to hit me because we had similar TikTok interests or, or what's going on there? All organic so far, just throwing out wow. some videos there. So that's probably how you found me. Um, I'm not a professional TikToker at all, but uh, I did have a video that, I guess you would consider to be viral that literally all it showed was a paper towel sucking up water on, uh, I think title blades, the board game. And somehow that's had 2 million views. So wow. take that for what it's worth. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, congratulations on that. To get that kind of organic reach is, uh, is amazing. So, and the, what the product was, it was BG shield, which is this, uh, this product you've invented. How did you come up with the idea for the, first of all, explain to the audience what BG shield is, and then we'll get into kind of the guts of the product itself. Sure. So BG Shield is a repellent coating that goes on board games to party-proof them from spills that would happen on any given game night. So party-proofing, I don't know if anybody's ever coined that word, but essentially what that means is protecting your games, primarily the game boards and the game boxes, the big cardboard components, protecting those from spills from water, wine, coffee, tea, pretty much anything that you can throw at it that would be sitting on a game table uh, during game night. So <clears throat> the way that started was, again, back when I started playing some of these board games that we were talking about, we had an accident one night. It was on Lords of Waterdeep. We spilled a beer one night that you know wasn't a small spill. It was a pretty, pretty devastating situation. It was an accident. And 
it became clear to me there's got to be a way to to protect our board games from from spills i mean we have we have sleeves for cards we have metal coins as upgrades for cardboard coins we have box bands for boxes but there's really nothing out there for the core components so i it was an idea and i just started doing some research and the research wasn't it wasn't very promising. I mean, the best practice that I saw on some threads on Board Game Peak was, <clears throat> hey, you could cut a piece of plexiglass and you could lay that across all your board games. That's just, it wasn't practical. Um, obviously, the best way to do this is not to allow any food or drink on your table. But again, some people don't play that way. In, in our house, we think playing board games is is a family affair. We like to we like the fellowship that's involved of having everybody around the table and it's hard to get around the table without having some kind of food or drink. So that was the origin of the idea. And it's taken me probably about a year uh, to, to, to do the full research, find the solution and really test the solution that I think is, is going to be the perfect fit for when we go to market. Yeah. I, I mean, one of my, my, Favorite stories was I was at a uh, game night as part of a meetup group. This is now almost three years ago because of COVID hasn't, I mean, in Canada, we're shut down again, right? So we haven't had meetup groups here in quite some time, but um, that was my kind of go-to weekly game night was at a meetup group uh, in uh, Newmarket. And I remember sitting down, it was at a pub, right? And uh, one of the, the players had come and, and said, hey, we got this new game. It's called Secret Hitler. It's this kind of social deduction game. He literally pulls a shrink wrap off it. So it's a brand new game, starts unpacking it. Everything's just finished unpacking. And I sit down with my pint and I just reach over to, to grab a card or something and my hand hits the beer and literally the entire beer dumps all over this guy's game. And, you know, everyone's running, getting the paper towels, quickly trying to dry it up. And, you know, I felt horrible. I ended up buying him another game. I said, you know what, I'll just, I'm ordering one tonight, like right now to get you another game. And I took that one. But even though you dry it as fast as you can, you're always going to have warping. There's going to be some moisture wicking. And um, not to mention the smell of every time you open that that game now, all you smell is like the pub <laughs> where I was at, exactly. right? So. You know, I can see, and that's what kind of hooked me on this video that I saw, your TikTok video was seeing a, a spilled drink and, and you're literally wiping it up, right? And it, it's pooling and it's just sitting on top of the surface and you can see that it's not soaking in into the into the cardboard. How did you find this, this liquid solution? So and just maybe explain to people how you apply this. So from what I can see in your videos, it's, it's like in a little bottle, almost looks like um, those five hour energy bottles. You're, you're dabbing onto a, a, a towel, you're wearing gloves and you're basically in circular motions. You're, you know, applying it to the, you know, the, the surface of your game. How did you come up with this liquid? Where did you find it? Like where, you know, how does that come together? Especially since you're not a chemist, right? You're a logistics guy. Yeah, so I'm not a chemist, uh, but um, but sourcing ideas is is kind of part of what I do, and so I tried to find uh, a manufacturer that I could partner with that had some expertise in this area of repelling water and other moisture, and uh, I found kind of the perfect marriage with a with a manufacturer that has been doing research with uh, this particular chemical for over ten years. 
Um, he's never done it on board games, but um, after a lot of testing over the last year, we found out that it works perfectly. Um, but like you said, James, it's very, very easy to apply. So the ease of application was one of the, I'd say, four criteria that I really had. It, it's important to, I think, say that I am the very first customer of BG Shield. So I think I just mentioned I got, you know, Onk. Uh, the board game for Christmas. The very first thing I did was was pull that out of the box, lay it down on a towel, and and I went to town, making sure that that game was was fully protected. So, the ease of application is important. You literally just take a small bottle. It's easiest to apply with a small piece of felt. Think of like a, maybe a two inch piece of felt. Uh, you just kind of dab that over the bottle. And that one little dab, about two milliliters, can do roughly what I would say an average size board game. So average size is about 20 inches by 20 inches. Think of maybe the board game Horrified as a good example. But you can pretty much wipe down that entire board, uh, that front side of the board, with just one, one or two dabs over the bottle. So a full wow. bottle will do about 10 games maybe 12, sometimes more, depending on the size of the games that you're doing. Um, but it's very, very easy to apply at home. The other thing that I know you'll ask me, because everybody does, is, you know, does it work? Yes, it does. It, it works. I've got plenty of testing, hours and hours and months and months of testing. And the great news is that it works in a way that it won't discolor your game. So it leaves no residue. It's completely crystal clear. It's not a polyurethane. It's not any kind of enamel that you would think. I actually did try that. I tried polyurethane, and it just it didn't work the way that I wanted. It left a residue on my game that I, that nobody wants. Nobody wants to to change any aspect of, of the game that they have. So, um, so yeah, ease of ease of use, uh, the efficacy of making sure that it works making sure that it's safe, making sure that it um, is affordable. All those were kind of the, the criteria that I used to define the final solution. So there's a bunch of things in there I want to unpack. So one is actually you said a form. What, what is the price for a little bottle? Yeah, so a, a 30 milliliter bottle, which is essentially a one ounce bottle, it will be $36. Okay. So if you get 10 games out of that, you're going to get you know roughly $350, $360 for per game. Um, we say it'll last you three years on the game. The reality is it'll last forever. Mm. So um, we we would want customers to reapply it once every three years to a board game that they use quite a bit just to make sure that it's it's there and they remember that they've applied it. Uh, but it'll be about three fifty a game or you know a dollar fifty or a dollar a year if you think about it in terms of, of a game per year. And when you use the word chemical. Um, obviously people start thinking about, you know, safety and things like that. So how safe is this, uh, when it's being applied? I, I know there's gloves that they're, you're in the video. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Absolutely. So gloves are, uh, recommended. We I've used it without gloves, but we recommend gloves because people have different sensitivities to different types of chemicals. So that's the probably the best place to start. It is a chemical, but it's safe to use. Once it cures to the board, there's absolutely no safety issue whatsoever. So it essentially cures into a coating that you can't see, taste, 
or touch. It leaves no residue and it's safe. The one aspect that's important that we notify or that we, uh, that we uh, list on our bottle is that it is flammable when it's in the bottle. Mm-hmm. So you, you don't want to smoke when you're using this. Um, that was important to, to call out for people who might be applying this like in a board game cafe or something like that. So it's important to, to know about that. But as long as you follow the safety instructions and our application instructions, you'll be perfectly fine. Um, but it's primarily best used for well, what I consider to be the primary component. So think about your game board, your game boxes. I mean, going back to your story in the uh, in the pub, how many times have you either done it or accidentally laid the box down on a table in the pub and you forgot to look to see if somebody had spilled something before that and now the back of the box has some damage on it. So now you've you've protected the back of the box. Same thing goes for the game board. Um, it has characteristics that are very, very similar to odorless mineral spirits that are used to clean paintbrushes. So that gives you some kind of comparison to what it's like. Yeah, I never even thought about the actual place in the board uh, box down on the table. That's, I mean, now you've got me paranoid. <laughs> I look for that every time I go to a place. Yeah. <laughs> Well, going back to your example, I mean, I think you use Secret Hitler as the example, but yeah. think about now, what if what if that was a 20-year-old board game that isn't made anymore, right? So it, yeah. you can't get it. You can't replace it because it's now a collectible and nobody's reproducing it. Or it was a $400 Kickstarter all-in package that you that your friend bought and you know, again, very, very, very difficult to replace as board games are becoming more complex, more expensive, more collectible. Um, you know, it's just something to think about it. You could think of it as kind of the ultimate upgrade on any kind of board game, or you could think about it as kind of board game insurance, just making sure that your best board games are, are fully protected. Can you apply it to the edges of like... Um like the because i'm thinking one like a board say it's a quad fold board right so you have where it's split there you have cardboard that's exposed there so if even if you spill a drink if the surface is protected there's gonna be wicking right to the side of that board right so can you apply it to the edges of of like the cut edges and so forth absolutely yes so okay you would want to apply it to the board flat out and then the wet the best way i've done it is to to fold it up and just take that felt uh, cloth and just go right around the edges. Sometimes you'll see a little bit of wetness from the coating, but it'll dry in just a matter of minutes and it'll be fully protected on the edges as well. Same thing applies to, uh, to tiles. So if you have like a cardboard tile. Yeah. Like Catan, for example, can you apply to like the Catan tiles? Yes. Okay, cool. Cause you have those crazy, right? they, They do. And the best time to apply this is when the game is brand new, right out of the box. You haven't even punched the tiles or components. That's by far the best time to, to apply it because they're all right there without, uh, you know, without being loose. But I've done games that I've had for a couple of years that, uh, that that are older as well with with uh, with no problem. Yeah, I notice on the uh, the product description it says that. Um, uh, the, the the bottle lasts like a year. It's from manufacture. Is there so if it's if it lasts for three years once it's actually on the board, is it because when it's in its liquid state, it's it's, it's somewhat unstable or it's just a different state? Yeah. 
Exactly. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it stable versus unstable. It's just a different state liquid yeah. now to, to a true kind of solidified coating. And again, you can't see it. So one of the, tr one of the problems I've run into and something I'm still working on is, is how will customers remember which games they have, they have coded. So um, thinking about maybe producing some stickers that you could put on the back of a board game box so you remember which games you've coded or what date you you coded those. That's still something that we need to ultimately work out long term. But you you won't know it's there. You can't feel it. You can't smell it. Uh, you can't see it. Um, it is completely completely colorless and invisible. On your uh, website, and I'm going to show uh, the audience here that are watching the video. You can see that there's liquid that's pooled on the actual board, right? And it's sitting there until it kind of gets wiped up with the, uh, with the cloth. How long could the liquid technically sit on that surface without absorbing into the, the cardboard? Sure. So I've done a lot of testing on that. Um, I would say, you know, an hour or less is the ideal situation. Um, you don't want to leave something on there. I mean, you don't want to ever expose your game, regardless of what, if you use my product or not, you don't want to ever expose your game to, to prolonged moisture. Yeah. Um, it's best repellent against water for long periods of time. So I've left some water overnight without a problem, mm. but other, other liquids have different time ranges. So wine is more acidic, um, you know, 20 minutes is probably, you know, you want to be careful not to leave it on there. But again, in that situation, regardless of whether you apply the product or not, you're going to want to clean up your board game as quickly as possible. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it, it just be clear. I mean, there in your view, actually it literally shows like a bottle of red wine <laughs> dumped right on the game and it just get wiped right off. No problem after sitting on there. So you actually cleared up, you cleaned up the, the clear liquid first then went over and clear, uh, cleaned up the, the red wine that had been sitting on there for like a minute. And there's there's zero evidence that there was wine on that uh, game, which I thought was uh, pretty crazy, actually. That was, uh, was pretty amazing. Can it take marker? So say I, uh, again, I'm, I know I'm stretching the limits of what you've advertised here, but if I put this this coating on a board and then I put like a, like a dry erase marker on it, would that just wipe off as well? Dry erase marker will wipe off a Sharpie will not i've actually that's the one thing you you happen to pick the one thing on my list that uh, <laughs> that uh has uh has not prevented but a sharpie will actually still write on the board but going back to your wine and, and water it was important for me not only to to repel water but think about all the things that could be on a table so it could be wine it could be water it could be coffee it could be beer it could be food so it could be fingerprints I have videos on my YouTube channel uh, of buttered popcorn, rubbing it all over the board and rubbing it right off. I've tried peanut butter. I've tried chocolate syrup. I've tried rubbing and uh, crushing blueberries into the board. I don't want any of my customers, let's be clear, I don't want any of my customers you know, running those experiments because they don't need to. I've done it for them. But I have tried just about everything that you can think of with great success. and. Uh, so pretty happy that it prevents uh, all of those things. That's awesome. Now you have uh, on your website, it's tentatively launching in 2022, uh, direct to markets. If people want to check it out, they can go on your website, they can sign up and then be notified when this goes live. 
but I didn't see Kickstarter on there. So why, why not do so? Like, this seems almost prime to go on Kickstarter. Why wouldn't you launch this on Kickstarter? Well, kind of some breaking news. So we did intend to launch uh, via Kickstarter and we had been gearing up for a Kickstarter launch in March of this year. Hmm. And just recently in the last two weeks, I've made the decision not to go to Kickstarter. And the main reason is because we're ready to launch sooner um, we're ready to go we have the product we have the supply chain we have the bottling we pretty much have everything that we need and i'm ready to put it in customers hands faster than what a typical kickstarter uh, campaign would would ramp so a typical kickstarter campaign you know you might you might back today and you might have that game or product within four to six months uh, I'm excited to tell customers beginning February 1st that we'll launch immediately and they can literally order from my website and we'll have it fulfilled within just a few days. So it was important for me to launch sooner because we have it ready and we are going to launch a little bit slower. So one difference that's important to note is that a Kickstarter would have most likely been an international opportunity for us. We are going to, we manufacture in the U.S. and we're going to stay, we're going to limit distribution to the U.S. for a few months just to make sure that you know, we, we get the right feedback from customers sure. and then we will uh, make this a, a, a bigger international opportunity for, for folks. Oh, that's awesome. Where where do people go if they want to follow this journey along? So is it predominantly the website? So uh, bgshield.com or is there other areas like even in social media where they can, they can find you? Yep. So you can imagine this is a very visual product, right? Yeah. So you, we're talking about wine, beer, blueberries, all kinds of weird stuff. Um, so we have a presence on just about any social media platform you can find, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. So they can find us there. But the best place to get information is from our website, bgshield.com. Um, this is the first product that I know of that is specifically designed to prevent damage from spills on board games. So we're, we don't sell this product to you know, other types of industries that is specific to board games because I'm a gamer. I love it. And it's just a, it's a passion that has become a hobby that hopefully will now become a business. Everybody knows a spilly willy. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> well, Trey, I just want to wish you all the best for this upcoming year and uh, all the success for this product. It looks so cool. I can't wait to see it in action. And uh, I think 2022 is going to be a year you're going to be very happy with. Well, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. We're excited and uh, check us out. No worries. Take care. Cheers. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.